It is very humbling to ever get to open my mouth and speak. And since I was with you about eight, nine months ago, on that last uh, day almost of December of 2019, we were sober then, I think, I was, going into the new year. I never took anything for granted. Matter of fact, I almost grabbed a little bell today to bring and pull out of my pocket because I have, I like bells, and the reason I like bells, I don't collect them, but I, let me recommend that you have a bell in your house. You, not a doorbell, but a gold bell of some kind. It can be just a little thing, about that big. It can be some balls that hang perhaps on a little rack in your kitchen or something. But for me, there's only two places in the Bible where I know that you read about the word bells. And I think most of you are very aware of the one, and that would be in the account of the um, great tent of meeting that God gave to Israel in the Holy Tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies where God gave the garments to um, Aaron and his family, the high priests, and that the garment of the high priest was to be shrouded at the bottom with um, bells, gold bells. And as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, that one day of year, to make intercession for the sins of the people and for his own sins, the bells on that priest's robe would obviously make some kind of noise. And they say there was a rope also tied to the leg of that priest and if the bell stopped ringing, you'd know that that man died in the presence of God. It was kind of a way of, of acknowledging the holiness of God. And, and all I can say is when I think of bell in that setting, I think of the holiness of God where the priest was to appear. The only other place I know of, and you can check me on this, fact check, right? Um, this is not a debate, but um, you can check my facts maybe. In Zechariah, it also tells about the day of the Lord. And if you believe in a literal uh, coming of Jesus Christ into this world and establishing his kingdom, which I have no problem with at all. And when he comes, he will establish his kingdom and he will be Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And it says in the book of Zechariah that even the pots and pans will be dedicated unto the Lord is holy and the bells of the horses will have written on them holiness unto the Lord. I remember giving my sons bells for Christmas several years ago when it was the year that the United States Supreme Court was getting ready to um, vote on, on marriage and, and basically a biblical view of marriage, whether or not it would hold its weight in the Supreme Court of the United States. And, and so that Christmas prior to that, I gave my sons and my, their families just some gold bells, nothing expensive, but just saying, keep the bells in front of you. Always remember the holiness of God. It becomes the issue of the hour. We're living in a time where we've thrown that away. And oftentimes we, we do argue for the love of God and we argue for his love and his compassion, which is just as real as his holiness. But let's never forget his holiness. And it's very, very critical as we enter again into these next four weeks in our own nation. I would never want to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to do that today. Matter of fact, that would be the most deadly thing any preacher could do. I want to pray, and I'm asking God to prepare my heart and your heart to receive what God has to say to us this morning. Father, I pray that you will just help me to be faithful to your word. 
And in these few moments we have, I pray that you will give me those words that you want me to speak from a multitude of notes, a multitude of scriptures. Lord, help me to hone in on that which you want said in these moments together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, being in prison work my whole life, and basically when I moved into Coatesville as a nine-year-old boy with my dad and my mother, my mother was a very wonderful, wonderful, spirit-filled woman that taught children about Jesus on flannel graph. She was a Bible school teacher for child evangelism. So my mother went everywhere with flannel graph. Probably don't, people don't even know what a flannel graph is anymore, but it was a, a board with, with flannel on it. And then my mother had these little pictures of Jesus and Bible stories that also had felt on the back of them. And mom would teach boys and girls about Jesus all summer and through the year. And he, she dragged the boys around, my sister and I, my, my brother, and we would go to all of her flannel graph lessons and we would hear the word of God taught. We had the privilege of a mother, Pauline, who loved the Lord. She got her name from the Apostle Paul, my granddad Fredericks, my hero, a wonderful soul winner who lived to be almost 90. Grandpa lost his son Paul to crib death. And so the next baby that came along was my mother, that little girl. And so he called her Pauline because my granddad loved Paul, the apostle, the evangelist, the soul winner, that great man who came to faith in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And so this morning as I, I come before you, I, I really have a sober heart looking at November the 3rd. Matter of fact, I didn't say it in the first service, but November 3rd, not only is that the election day of this particular election cycle, but it happens to be the day in 1967 when my mother went home to be with the Lord on that November the 3rd, 1967. It was a Friday night, about quarter of midnight. I had kissed my mother goodnight at 11.30 as she sat in her first night in her hospital bed next to my, her old bed in the bedroom where we lived. And I gave my mother a kiss. I prayed with her and I went to bed. And 15 minutes later, the Lord took her home. You know, God answered my prayer. I knew he could have healed my mother, but I also knew that he might want to take her. And I just said, Lord, one, one selfish prayer from this 16-year-old boy. If you would, let mom have her mind all the way to the end of her, of her trial. I'd love to have mom be mom. And you know he answered that and took her home to be with him. And so as I come up to November 3rd this year, believe me, my heart is more sober than ever in any election. But I want to talk to your hearts tonight or this afternoon a couple weeks ago on the grounds of the Capitol and the Lincoln Memorial, uh, tens of thousands of people gathered for two particular different rallies. One was led by uh, Reverend uh, Graham and it was the Graham March and I understand it brought uh, several scores of thousands and then also the uh, Return, which was led, I believe, by um, a Messianic Jewish rabbi, Khan, who wrote Harbinger after two 2001 and all of that and they were two big gatherings of people for around the theme of repentance and prayer for the nation and some people would say Jack you're always in Washington you go to Washington a lot were you there for the marches I said no I didn't go but I will say this that being in prison all the years I've been in there I have had my heart broken so much and so many times I learned a long, long, long time ago, way before I even started in jail at age 23, 
I knew that this life was way too heavy for me, way too heavy for me, and I needed the Lord. And as I got involved in prison ministry, I began to realize that there were people out there around the world that, that were people that believed in revival and believed in prayer and believed in repentance. And, and so I actually became probably the only prison ministry ever to become part of the Canadian Revival Fellowship. And, and so I was a, a member of the Canadian Revival Fellowship and was involved with revival ministries. And even now I'm a partner with, with a Heart Cry for Revival, which is um, out in, out in Buchanan, Michigan with Nancy DeMoss and that group of people who are praying for national repentance and brokenness and revival. And, and so that's been a big part of my life. And so when I see revival meetings or repentance meetings called on the Capitol lawn, I'm often wondering, what will be the message? Who will be the speakers? And, and you know, I, I was interested to see what happened. I want to say this. If there's ever a need for us to call a nation ourselves as the people of God to repentance, it certainly is now. And the message should be to the household of faith that we, as the people of God, need to be the ones who repent. We are the ones who should repent. And it's not partisan, it's not party, and, and you got to be very, very careful to address the need for repentance and brokenness to the household of faith in particular and in general for sure. We're living in a time where, in my life, I feel... We need our hearts broken, and we need to be desperate for the Lord. I think of a man, David, in the Old Testament. And behind me, perhaps, you see the words, created me a clean heart, O God. A week ago, Sunday night, I preached at my own camp meeting up at Brandamore, the Old Mill Bible Conference. And it's up on my Facebook page. I preached about a 40-minute message on this whole theme of Psalm 51, where David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. And that word create is the very same word where God created the heavens and the earth, the idea that God creates, just as we know that new birth is something that only comes from the Lord, that, you know, Jesus said, you must be born again. We can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. The more I know about God, the more I know about me, the more unsavable I know I am. I'm unsavable were it not for the mercy and grace of God. And so it's one thing to come to faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, to be born again. It's another thing to say with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you want to throw that text up for just a moment from Psalm chapter 51, I didn't have you do that in the first service, but I think I'll have you do it right now real quickly. But I want you to see just a few verses there in Psalm 51 where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I don't believe when you're saved, you can lose your salvation. That's just me. If he saves you, he keeps you. But you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I can't talk about you. I want to talk about me for a minute. I do not want to quench the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. And I know there's times when I have. 
And so I pray with David, create in me a clean heart, O God. And I say this to you this morning. I know we're all here. We're all saying, some are saying, Jack, I'm not even voting this year. I'm sick and tired of it. Or I'm going to vote for a third party. Well, if you're going to vote for a third party, I suggest you don't. That's my own opinion. Okay? If one would have started four years ago and someone would have called it the sighing party, which maybe by the end of my message you might understand what I mean by that, it might be a good idea. A sighing party. A crying party. A party whose hearts are broken and sighing over the abominations that are done in the land. A people of God. Not Democrats and Republicans. The people of faith, the men and women who say they're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I haven't done it in this church. I've done it in many, many churches. And I will do it here this morning. That you see, maybe you'll surprise me. And you can't cheat if you were here in the first service. But I'm going to give you a verse, Psalm 107, verse 2. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You can, you can make me a liar this morning. This has never happened. I've always started the verse, Psalm 107, verse 2, and I've asked people to finish it. Let's see if someone can do it this morning. Don't look it up. Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord finish it. Nobody's ever finished it. You did the same thing every other church has done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Here's the most important part. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I'm convinced we're not saying so because we forgot the end of the verse. Who's been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? You have and I have. Men and women of color, I'm white, I'm, got, I'm a person of color. White, black, brown, you name it. Who came to Calvary's cross by the grace of Christ, by the Holy Spirit's pleading through the blood of the Lamb to convince me of my need of a Savior, that I'm hopeless and helpless without what he did for me on the cross. Oh, to think what he spared me from and his grace and mercy, which has continued to give me that pardon and that mercy and to put up with me as we sang this morning, all the days of my life, he's been good to me. We haven't been as good to him. Why, the prophet Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3, I like the old King James that says, were it not for his mercies, we would be consumed. His mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad his mercies were new this morning? New ones. We need his new mercies. And the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. And this morning, lest I fail to do it, I want to ask you this morning, what is it that's really upsetting you and grieving your heart? What is the deepest pain in your heart this morning? In the middle of this summer, I can honestly say to you, I was as low as I've ever been. No one around me would have ever known it. My wife who loves me and I love, we're close, we're intimate. 
My three sons who couldn't love me more, they love me too much, it scares me. It really does. One of the biggest things I grieved over this summer was just this haunting fact. Jack, whatever happens if you disappoint your boys? What happens if you fail your sons? Can you really finish well? I mean, have you lived that kind of a life where you can really finish well and say, God, if it wasn't for your mercies, I wouldn't finish well? There's people this morning that are angry and they're blood-bought believers. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ and they are angry. They are angry about issues that maybe I'm not angry about or maybe I should be angry at. There are people on every side of every argument who are in the household of faith who are divided this morning. It's one thing for a divided nation. It's grievous when Christ must see his divided bride. The bride is divided. What an intimate thing when a man and his wife know each other. What's behind the veil in each other's life? My wife and I will be married 50 years next May 7th. Someone said, Jack, you're not that old. I'm 70 in November. And I thank God for three sons. I don't take it for granted. They're 47, 43, and 39. And I know Lisa knows my youngest and his wife, Jordan. My precious daughter-in-law, Corinne, married to Timothy. Jonathan married to Sarah, 20-year-old granddaughter just yesterday, birthday, Leah Faith, sat next to my grandson, my baby grandson, he's seven. What's going to befall them? What kind of a nation are they coming into? I've had the privilege my whole life of working in prison, seeing people that have, that have hearts of sin just like me. A couple weeks ago, I had to go to jail, and we don't go as much now because they don't really want you in there that much because of COVID. We have chaplains in there every single day, and I got called the other morning about two, three weeks ago, and it was about six in the morning. I said, chaplain, would you come in? We have a young man in here. Got to give him bad news. His father was murdered last night. Bad enough to be in prison and already be in prison with broken relationships and broken family and all the, all the things that must go through a young man's mind in jail, how he screwed up his life and I don't know what goes on in their heads I've, even though I've been with them my whole life. And I had to call this young man up and tell him that not only was his father murdered, his stepmother was murdered and his grandfather pulled the trigger, and then he killed himself. I had to tell him three people in his life had died the night before, before he found out in the news. I've never in my life, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to tell you what race he was. I hate to say that, but I'm just going to make sure you know. He happened to be a white guy. Okay, and he agonized. I never saw a kid in my whole life sob the way he sobbed. 
I mean, his, his legs came up here and they went down here and his face went down to the ground and, and his nose just opened up and every, I mean, it was just the most, it was the greatest sorrow you ever saw. And it wasn't until he finally wept and wept and wept and he had to talk to his mom and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, said to this young man, I said, let me just pray with you. And it was the only time he got quiet. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, we called him into that room. We called the Lord into that room. I sat with a young lady in my jail. She came up. and She knew me real well. Matter of fact, I, Lisa, you know this young lady, I think. She came up and she thought, boy, Jack Kranz, the chaplain's calling me to his office. This is going to be bad news when the chaplain calls you. Something happened. She sat down and she says, did my grandmom die? I said, no. Your grandmom's alive. What's wrong, Chaplain Kranz? It's your dad. He took his life this afternoon. Took a gun to his neck. I'll tell you what color she was, too. She was an African-American. You want to go visit Children's Hospital and meet children there who are fighting for their lives? Some of you have probably been in those wards with your own children, perhaps. I hate to even say that to you. It's painful. They're black and white. They're Hispanic. They're all kinds of children, all kinds of families. My point is this morning, the sorrows in this nation are spread out among every one of our families. And yes, there are some who are suffering things that you and I will never understand. I don't know what it's like to grow up as a young African-American boy. I don't. Even though I grew up in Coatesville and fell in love with the African-American community and it changed my life for the rest of my life, to this day, I thank God for the day he put me in Coatesville. The best thing my dad ever did was move me to Coatesville. It changed my life. And I'm telling you right now, in jail and in the streets, I have never been loved more by the people of our community. Black, white, to me, race isn't an issue to me because I know Jesus made a difference and I can see it in relationships. And I'm telling you, I love the people that God put in my life. And I've never met anybody who needed Jesus more than me. I'm telling you this morning, as the blood-bought people of God, you are the ones he spared from the hands of the enemy. I have to watch my time. I went over this morning, so I'm watching. Is that that's 12? I want to tell you a quick story. Many of you might know this story, but please listen to it for a minute. Again, create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Where's it end? Right there in verse, uh, let me just see, verse 13. It says, I will, then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted unto thee. You see, we're not going to teach anybody anything. We're not going to see anybody brought to faith unless we ourselves have a clean and changed heart. I say that to every single person that I could say it to in any congregation, in any church, four weeks before the national vote, I can tell you right now, if we aren't a people of a clean, changed heart, and we don't do business with God in our own lives, this nation's in trouble 
because of the people of faith. We became the problem. You're going to have to vote. I sure hope you do. And I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, even though I could. Because I have my favorite, you have yours. That's not the issue. The issue is, who are you behind that curtain when you vote? And when it's all said and done, and whether it's one day later or who knows when later, we find out who is the new POTUS or the old POTUS. What are we going to do as the people of faith? Because we sure ain't doing it now. We're as partisan in our prayer meetings as we ever have been. We need someone who just hears the word of God. I think of Amos. I've been looking at Amos. My son's been preaching through Amos. And Amos, when he went to preach against the people of God, they told him to get out. Get out of Samaria, get out of Bethel, go back to where you came from, Amos. Go back to those sycamore groves, go back to those sheep you were herding. Don't tell us anything. But the Bible tells us Amos was a prophet, so he had to speak the word of God. But it also tells us in Amos that the prudent in an evil day are silent. Most people are afraid. We have no courage. We can't talk about issues anymore. The people of faith should be able to talk about issues because we know from where we ourselves have definitely come. Create in me. Read Psalm 51 sometime and look how personal it is. How many personal pronouns David uses. It was at a sex offender unit at the old Emeryville Hospital grounds the Pennsylvania Clinical School, where a 16-year-old sex offender who had been sexually offended by his own mother stood up at that clinical school and said, Pastor Jack, can I do something? What? He says, I want to quote Psalm 51. You want to quote it? He says, I know the whole chapter. I never heard anything more beautiful than a 51, I mean 50, 15, 16-year-old African-American male standing up in the Pennsylvania Clinical School and reciting with tears coming down his eyes, Psalm 51, be merciful to me, O God, and create in me a clean heart. Back in the late 1950s, I was a six-year-old in 1956. There were five missionaries that went to Ecuador, and you know the story, many of you, Jim Elliott, Roger Yadarian, Peter Fleming, Ed McCulley, and Nate Saint. Nate Saint, they say, was the oldest. He was 32 years of age. 32, five missionaries, all of them within one day of their mission were speared to death with nine-foot spears by the Wadani tribe. The Wadanis didn't know these men. All they knew was the mistreatment they had been given by the white oil, oil well diggers and by the people that came into their territory and abused them, and they didn't trust anybody, no less their own tribe. They were the most murderous tribe among themselves. And when they met these five missionaries, just in a very brief moment, it was only a day later, they were all speared to death. And the movie was made called The End of the Spear. 
If you've never seen that movie, you need to see the end of the spear. A little boy named Steve, Steve Saint, is kind of stars in that movie. It was his daddy that flew the plane, Nate Saint. Little Steve was about nine or ten. He said goodbye to his dad as he took off and never came home again. Steve grew up to become a young man and finally went on the mission field and met the very man who speared his dad to death and has spent his whole lifetime among the Wadanis and working among the indigenous tribes of the world. And Steve, to me, among the Saint family, the Elliott family, all these great missionary stories always inspired me. Here's a little boy whose daddy died at the end of the spear. Matter of fact, his daddy had a gun when those men came with those nine-foot spears, but they never used the gun. They weren't going to use the gun. Like he said to his little boy, he says, Daddy, what are you going to do if they come to hurt you? Are you going to shoot them? No, son, we're ready to go to heaven. They're not. So Steve Saint, great career. He's probably older than me. I haven't heard from Steve Saint for the longest time until just last week I received a little note on my phone. It was a video. And in that video was a man named Steve Saint. I couldn't believe it's the same guy because this Steve Saint in my video is a quadriplegic. That little nine-year-old whose daddy was speared, gave his whole life to missions, now is sitting in a wheelchair, quadriplegic, and I'm thinking, what happened to him? And if I get the story right, I think his head was injured on a wing of a plane. He's sitting in this wheelchair, and as he's sitting in the wheelchair, I'm thinking, my goodness, how many chapters does this little boy have to have of pain? And I thought how his daddy, instead of fighting his enemy, gave himself to the end of the spear. He gave himself to the end of the spear. Imagine all of you today who name the name of Christ. If we would be willing in our arguments to give ourselves to the end of the spear, to say, I'll take the hit to tell you I love you and that Christ loves you. What can I do to make a difference in your life? When Jesus went to the cross, what did he do for you and me? In our desperate need, he took the end of the spear. That's the only way it breaks, my friend. That's the only way that spear will break. As I was watching Steve Saint in this little clip, tears began to roll down his eyes in that quadriplegic chair. I did not know that Steve had also buried a daughter since those days at when his daddy was gone, he, Steve grew up to have children and one of them died of an aneurysm in just a day's time, I think. I thought, how many things, how many painful things happen in this guy's life? And my point is this, before I read this little poem to you, listen, folks, our nation is so full of people crying the pain they're in. I lose words for it. I had a dad who prayed with me. I had a dad who wore old spice, and when he prayed with me, I could smell his hand on my hand when I'd go to school after mom died. I had a grandfather who prayed for me and two grandmoms who prayed for me. Best grandmoms in all the world. You see, that's why I tell you I'm God's greatest debtor, Lisa. My goodness, if every kid had what I had, I've, you know what I, I'm saying this? I must have been one bad boy 
for God to have to cushion my life with that many spirit-filled, Christ-centered adults to put around my life. And even then I grew up to find out I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And the older I get, the more I realize were it not for his grace, I'd be in hell. I am his chief debtor. You'd have a hard time showing me a better family. I've been blessed. And I'm telling you, I'm listening to the cries of the kids. I'm listening to the moms in our jail and to the men in our jail. But I'm also listening to the cries of the police. Police are killing themselves. I mean, they're committing more suicides, more family divorce, more brokenness in police families than almost, almost more than preachers. There's so much pain out there. And we as a household of faith ought to say, Lord, help us identify with the pain of this nation. Not whether it's black or white or Hispanic immigrants or whatever it is. Let my eyes affect my heart. But also help me to remember you're a holy God. And help me to be the man and the woman you want me to be for such a time as this. Because the hope of this nation will not be settled by a Democrat or a Republican. The only hope of this nation will be settled by a spirit-filled, obedient, believing church. And if the Holy Spirit and the Word fails in the black community and in the white community, America is done. If we're not already. And shame on me for even having to say, or shame on us for me having to say, if the Spirit and the Word of God fails in the black or white community. My goodness, by now we should have been one. Listen to what Steve, he didn't write this, but he, he quoted it. And I'll tell you what, I learned a new word last week. Maybe you know this word. Anybody ever heard the word mendicant? If you know Spanish, anybody know Spanish? Somebody's got to speak Spanish here. What's the word for beggar in Spanish? Anybody know real loud? Mendigo. See? Mendicant. So what's mendicant mean? Beggar. A mendicant's a beggar. So here's Steve Saint, little boy, daddy's speared, grows up, loves the Lord, becomes a missionary, works with the same guy that kills his dad, sees God's revival among the Wadani tribe. Wonderful story. Had his own mission reaching out around the world. Loses a daughter to brain aneurysm. Then gets a head injury. Ends up as a quadriplegic. And his life's not done yet. And he's sitting in the chair. And all of a sudden, he, this guy, Steve Saint, quotes this. And I'm listening to it. And I'm telling you what. It, it blew me away. The poem's called The Mendicant. It wasn't written by him, by Martha Snell Nicholson. But listen to this, please. I'm almost done. And take it personal, please. And think about the pain in your life right now, whatever it is. It might be racism. It might be that you feel like you've been treated like dirt all your life and you're sick and tired of it. Or it might be just the fact that you've been raising your kids all by yourself or you don't know why one more person died in your family or you don't know why you're facing depression the rest of your life. You don't, all the stuff that's happening, I'm telling you right now, in this room, every single one of us has some pain. 
I stood a mendicant of God before his royal throne and begged him for one priceless gift which I could call my own. I took the gift from out of his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, but Lord, this is a thorn. A thorn? And it has pierced my heart. This is a strange and hurtful gift which you have given me. He said, my child, I give good gifts and gave my best to thee. Now remember, this is being quoted by Jim Elliott or Steve Saint. My child, I give good gifts and I gave my best to you. My dad got speared. My daughter died. I mean, a quadriplegic chair. You gave your best to me. I took it home, the thorn, and though at first the cruel thorn hurt so sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. This morning as I close, would you take the pain in your life right now and say, could you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the thorn. Help me, Lord, to pin back that veil that I might see your face. I'm going to tell you what Steve Saint said in that video. He said, you know what? Never in my life have I learned the things I've learned about God at this point in my life. The thorn pulled back the veil. To hear people saying, I'm mad, I'm angry, the nation getting ready to riot, the nation getting ready to pull their guns out, whites, blacks, streets, patriots, everybody going to go to war, right? Who's in the middle? Thin blue line, we call them police officers. I was talking to a Secret Service agent a couple weeks ago. I said, Mark, I wouldn't be surprised if the gate of the White House is going to get knocked down and we'll have spray paint on the front door of the White House by the time we get to the election. He said, Jack, that's already happened on the, east, on the west gate already. That gate was already knocked down and burned. We have no idea where this country is going right now. But I know this, a whole lot of pain out there is going to destroy it. And that's not talking about one side or the other. I'm talking about the pain of this nation and the anger and the angst will bring this country down and that thin blue line will back up and not be able to stop it. And the people of faith who have four weeks right now to get it right are sure not going to be able to twiddle their thumbs after it's over. I really think that this little poem says something to me. Remember Paul, he said, Lord, you gave me a thorn in the flesh. I begged you to take it away. And yet he, I said, I found that in my weakness, it became strong. I speak to every one of us this morning. 
First, your own thorn. Let it pull back that veil between you and Christ. If you got that taken care of, then I'm going to ask this. If your veil's been already pulled back and you see God for who he is, you ought to be seeing the pain that others are having in a way you've never seen it before because God does. Let's pray. It was David, this man who said, created me a clean heart, who just a few months and perhaps a little bit more than a year before said, I want to build a beautiful house for God in Jerusalem. I'm going to build a big place for him to come and worship with us. All along, he was an adulterer and a murderer in his heart. So, Lord, as we think about the big things we're going to accomplish, may we thank you for the thorns you've given us this morning. I pray somehow that would pull back the veil that separates us. Lord, I can't heal this country. Only you can. But I believe in the household of faith, the redeemed of the Lord who say so, who've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Therein lies the answer. If you're going to spare this republic, this democracy. So God, may we know that when we go behind the curtain of our voting booth, May we see the veil that's been pulled away from you before any other. And do our best to bring you glory. And when it's all said and done, have thine own way in me, in this nation. Revive your work in the midst of years. In your wrath, remember mercy. I pray in Jesus' name.